seated. Have you ever made a decision that changed the whole course of your life? I read one survey this week that said that over the course of a lifetime, the average person will make about 800,000 decisions. And out of those 800,000 decisions, the average person will come to regret about 150,000 of their decisions. What all of us know that have been around for a few years at least, is that there are, out of those 800,000 decisions that we make over a given lifetime, it really comes down to just a handful, doesn't it? It really comes down to just a handful of decisions that we make that ultimately determine the trajectory of our lives, that ultimately determine the direction of our lives, that ultimately determine pretty much the people that we become and, and what we do with who we are. Some of the decisions that we make are good decisions. You marry someone that sincerely makes you a better person. Or you get a new job or open your own business and it goes better than you could have ever have imagined. You maybe choose a college that takes and equips you to do the things that you're most passionate about and to do them in a way that contributes to society, perhaps even to the kingdom of God. On the other hand, there are bad decisions that we make that change the courses of our life. Perhaps it's the affair that you chose to have. That caused your family to crumble. Perhaps it's a business that you started and it didn't go as well as you had hoped and you ended up bankrupt as a result. Perhaps as, perhaps as a young married couple you took on more debt than you really should have and it kind of has enslaved you. And so you've lived the majority of your life under this, this weight and it's really determined and limited you in so many things that you would like to be able to do. I know one of the things that used to burden me most when I was a youth pastor is that teenagers fail to understand the importance of their decisions even at their own age. And so I would counsel with people in, as an 8th or a ninth grader and I would plead with them to change their path. I would plead with them to, to alter the direction that they were he heading and I would, I would tell them, here are the consequences. If you don't stop, you will be pregnant. If you don't stop, your life will crumble. If you don't stop... They were convinced that the decisions that they were making would be easily forgiven and easily forgotten. But it was not uncommon for me to go talk with the same people as 11th and 12th graders as they would come bursting through my door randomly one day with tears pouring down their face saying, What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So much of life is about the decisions that we make. So much of who we are are the result of the decisions that we make. This morning I want you to understand that, the, that one decision made in one moment can change everything else. In the Sermon on the Mount we've gotten to the end. We've gotten to the point in Jesus' sermon in which he's doing what every great preacher does. He's, he's asking for response. He's asking you not just to hear what he said. He's asking you not just to let it be stored up as knowledge in your mind, but instead for you to respond to it, to be lived out into your life. He's saying, what are you going to do with what I've said? 
What are you going to choose? Choose today whom you will follow. Will you follow the world or will you follow me? Whom will you follow? Whom will you choose? What path will you go This morning, that's the decision facing all of us. The decision facing each of us this morning is, whom will we choose? What will we choose? What path will we take? Turn with your Bibles with me this morning in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read just two verses, verses 13 and 14. Stand with me as we read God's word together. Verse 13 says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. You may be seated. So notice how Jesus starts out here. As we come to the landing point of his sermon, as we come to the close of his sermon, Jesus starts off very simply in verse 13 by just saying this, enter by the narrow gates. See, in our passage this morning, Jesus is letting us know that essentially for every person that has lived, that is living, or that will live, there are two paths on which a person can take. There are two gates through which a person can enter. There are two destinations at which a person can ultimately arrive. And what Jesus is saying here in the beginning as he goes into this landing point is he is saying this, choose the right way, choose the narrow gate. Now we should notice here that what Jesus is telling us is not, he's not asking us a question, he's not giving us a suggestion, he's not telling us that perhaps it's a good idea, no he states this in the imperative form, he states this as a command, what we have here at the end of Jesus's Uh, At the end of Jesus' sermon is what an evangelist does. He is pleading with them. Respond today. Choose today. Enter the gate today. Enter the narrow path today. Come down this way today. Choose today. Don't choose tomorrow. Don't wait for next year. Choose now. Choose today. This morning, I think there is a decision facing all of us. For many of you, I believe this passage teaches, don't know the Lord. Many of you have never surrendered your hearts to Him fully. Many of you have perhaps never been broken over your sin. I want you to know that some of you I've prayed by name for this week. Some of you, as the Lord would prompt me with your face, I've prayed for you. That this morning, this the... Spirit of God would break your heart over your sin and that this morning you would turn and you would repent and you would go after and this morning you would choose Christ, that this morning you would choose the narrow way, that this morning you would enter through the narrow gate. For others of you that are in Christ, over the course of this sermon, undoubtedly Jesus has been calling you to a deeper faith. Jesus has been calling you to to look at areas in your life for which you've been casual. Look at areas in your life for which you've been unfaithful in. Looking at areas in your life and what he's been saying to you throughout the Sermon on the Mount is, Hey, come closer. Come nearer. Come deeper with me. 
Let's, let's go deep with one another. This morning, the decision that's facing you is to continue down and to press deeper down this narrow path. This morning, will you do, will you respond to what Jesus has called you to do? This morning, how will you respond to this great sermon? Not mine, his. What will you do with these words? He's, he's demanding, he's commanding, he's, he's urgently pleading with you. I love you, I want what's best for you. And what's best for you is to enter through the narrow gate and walk down this difficult path. Now I think he tells us why. I think he starts there. He starts there by saying this. Enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Now the first thing that we see there clearly is that this path, this, this alternative path, this path that is not the narrow gate, this path that is, is not coming after Jesus, this path that is responding negatively to what Jesus has said, not positively to what Jesus has said. The first thing that we're told about it is that it is a wide gate. You see, to come down the wide, to, to go down uh, the wide path, you enter through a wide gate. And you know what? This wide gate causes you to have to leave nothing behind. You can come through this wide gate with all of your baggage. You can come through this wide gate with all of your luggage. You can bring all of your own selfish desires. You can bring all of your own self-righteousness. You can bring all of your own good works. You can bring all of your favorite sins with you. All of these things can come with you through the broad gate. Because in the broad gate, there's plenty of room. In the broad gate, you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. And you can do everything that you do want to do. And so in this broad gate, we're able to walk through it, and we're able to walk through it with the, the completeness of who we are, and, the, and we're able to walk through it with, with all of the things that we want to take through with us. And as Paige Patterson said last week, very often we take our families with us. But it's not just a wide gate, it's a wide path. It's why it's easy, it's a wide path. Why is this path so wide? I want you to envision in your mind stepping up to the edges of a mighty river, a great river, perhaps the biggest river in the world, and, and it's so vast, and it's so enormous, and it's so filled with water that you can't even see where the boundaries are. You can't even see where the other edge is. You can't see where it begins and where it ends because this river is just so huge. To me, that's a picture of what the broad path is like. And the reason that this mighty river is so big and the reason that this, this broad path is so wide is that there are millions and millions and millions of smaller streams that converge in to form it. See, what I'm saying is that the broad path is made up of millions and millions and millions of smaller paths. It's made up with the paths of other religions. It's made up with the paths of your good name and your good works. It's made up of the paths of your opinions and your feelings. It's made up of the paths of your self-righteousness and your selfish ambitions. It's made up of all of these other paths, all of these alternative lifestyles, all of these alternative ways all converge and they converge to form one mighty path, one mighty river. Just so that I'm not ambiguous. Just so that I'm clear in what I'm saying. What I'm saying through a broken heart is that there are millions and millions and millions of paths that will take you to hell. Millions of them. New ones are invented every day. And the chances are that the majority of the people you know 
perhaps even a large number of people in this room are on one of those paths. After he tells us that it's wide, the next thing that he tells us is that not only is it wide, but it's easy. He says it's an easy path. Now, I think there's a few reasons within which this reasons for why this is such an easy path. I think the first reason that this is such an easy path is that it's natural for us. It's natural for us. That this is what we do naturally. You know what humans always take, the path humans always take, if you give them the option, they will always take the path of least resistance. They will always take the easy way. They will always take the way that is best for them. They will always take the way that allows them to do the most of what they want to do. The problem with that is, is that your natural heart is corrupt. The problem with that is, is that your desire to go and to do those things is that your heart is broken. After all, did you have to teach your toddler to do what is wrong or did you have to teach them to do what is right? No, doing what is wrong comes natural for us. Doing what is wrong is easy for us. Not only is this path natural, but this path is quite convenient. Because there is made up of millions and millions and millions of smaller paths, there you are very likely to find a path on this road that will fit what you want it to fit, to say what you want to say, that will allow all of your opinions in, that will allow all of your felt needs in, that will allow all of your objections in, that will allow all of your sins in, that will allow all of your selfishness in. You can find a path that fits you. And if not, you can just make up your own. If not, you can find a path in there and alter it to fit the way that you do. A lot of people are doing this with Christianity. They kind of uh, they, they kind of just see Christianity and they, they strip it of everything that they don't like and hold on to what they do like. And what are they doing? They're taking Christianity and they're manipulating it in to be one of these other paths that make up this broad path. You see, brothers and sisters, friends, this morning, all you have to do to be on the broad path is absolutely nothing. All you have to do to be on the broad path is put one foot in front of another one and float through life and do what comes natural. All you have to do to be on the broad path is just live an easy life, a convenient life. Lastly, the reason that this is such an easy path is that it is an appealing path. It's an appealing path. We go to this path because this path looks good to us. We go to this path because this path sounds good to us. We go to this path because this path even feels good to us. This is the nature of deception, brothers and sisters. You don't go and, and Satan say, well, listen, I want you to come and I, I, I really would like for you to come and become an alcoholic. Because if you become and be an alcoholic, it's going to destroy your family and it's going to destroy you and you're going to hate yourself. Is that, is that how Satan comes to us? Now, how does Satan come to us? Satan comes to us in a way that is appealing. Satan comes to us in a way that is attractive. Satan comes to us in a way that sounds good, looks good, and feels good. And that's why the, the motto of American society has essentially been, just follow your heart. It's the American way. Just follow your heart, and whatever, whatever sounds good, whatever looks good, whatever feels good, just do that. It's appealing. What's the trouble? 
What's the difficulty with that? The difficulty is what Jesus says next. Is that it leads to destruction. You see, brothers and sisters, Proverbs 4, 14, 12 says this. There is a way that seems right to a man. That its end is the way of death. That you can live your entire life doing what sounds good, what looks good, and what feels good. And it looks right to you and feels right to you and seems right to you. And it can lead to the end of your own death. You can take the easy way. You need to know that the easy way is a kamikaze mission. It's the suicidal way. It's the way that ends in your own destruction. And he is talking very clearly about hell. And what do we know about hell? The one thing that we know about hell is there would be no good there. That hell will be the place where there is all hunger and no food, all thirst and no water. You you will be hot, but you will not be able to be cooled. You will be cold, and you'll never be able to be warmed. There will be disease, but no medicine. There will be dying, but no living. Brothers and sisters, this morning, the path is easy. The path is wide, but the path destroys you. And the most devastating part of this verse, the verse this morning that if you are not in Christ should cause you to tremble and if you are in Christ should keep you awake at night, is that he says, and those who enter by it are many. Those who enter by it are many. That the percentages are not good here. That most of the people that we know, most of the people that we love, most of the people that we go to school with, and most of the people that we go to work with, and most of the people that we go on mission trips to see, and most of the people that we go on vacation with, most of them are far from God. Most of them are on the broad path. Most of them are spiraling toward their own suicide. All the while believing that it's what their heart has told them to do. All the while believing that they are doing what sounds good, looks good, and feels good. All the while being deceived toward their own destruction. Being deceived toward their own devastation. Their own death. Many of you are deceived. Many of you are deceived by your own works righteousness. You've done Baptist things. You've done Christian things. But you've never came to Jesus. You've got a a date written in the front of your Bible, but you don't have a date in which your heart has been laid bare before the Lord. You've been baptized in water before, but you don't have a moment in which there has been a time in your life in which you gave up the controls of your life and said, Jesus, I don't need anything else. Here, I just want you. Perhaps you didn't want to go to hell. Perhaps you didn't want to be seen as an outsider perhaps you didn't want to be on the wrong side of this thing but there was never a point in which you you didn't bring everything with you and come and say look i just need that too this morning you're on a path to destruction this morning you're on to a place that is devoid of all good how can you know if you're on this path How can a person, having read Jesus' description here in Matthew 7, know which path they are on? If they are on this broad path, if they are on this easy path, let's ask ourselves a couple of questions this morning. This morning, when you look at your life overall, does it look like everybody else's life? 
Do you blend in with the crowd? What's the problem if you look like everybody else in your neighborhood? What's the problem if you look and sound like everybody else in your workplace? What's the problem if you look and sound like everybody else at your high school? The problem is, is that most people are headed to destruction. And if you look like most people, where do you think you are headed? Do you look like everyone else? The other thing I would ask you is, is your faith difficult? Is your faith costly? Is your faith easy? What has your faith ever cost you? What, what is difficult about the life that you live? I'm not talking about circumstances. I'm not talking about death. I'm talking about what's difficult about your following of Jesus. What's difficult? What's, what's hard about it? Because if you follow after Jesus, it's going to cost you stuff. You're not going to be able to do everything that you want to do. You're not going to be able to go everywhere that you want to go. You're not going to be able to have everything that you want to have. You're not going to, everybody's not going to want to just flock and be your friend. It's not, it just doesn't work like that. This, that's the easy way. That's the easy path. And that's where most people are. Is your faith easy? You like everyone else? Do you hunger and thirst for the things of God? And Jesus opens up in Matthew chapter 5 by giving us the Beatitudes. And what, remember, if you'll remember what I told you about the Beatitudes, is what the Beatitudes really are, is the Beatitudes are Jesus' kind of description of the life of a disciple. Jesus' description of what a disciple will look like. And what is one of the things that he said? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This morning, is there any hunger in you for the things of God? Are you thirsting after the things of God? Are you longing to pursue Him? Are you longing to know Him better? Are you longing to honor Him more faithfully with your life? Are you longing, not perfectly, but faithfully to give Him everything that you have? If not, you're on the broad path. If not, you're living a life that is suicidal. He gives us the alternative, and praise God there is an alternative. In verse 14, he says, For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. As Jesus is describing these two paths to us, you'll notice it's quite different from the picture that we normally see, isn't it? The picture that we normally have of the two paths is where you come and there's a fork in the road. You're kind of going the same direction and there's this fork in the road and they're kind of both generally headed in the same direction. One's just really kind of narrow and grown up and got like poison oak and stuff. And then the other one is like really wide and beaten down but they still kind of head this way, right? That's not the picture. Everything about the narrow path is complete and polar opposite than the wide path. These are not, this is not a small fork in the road. This is one road going north and the other road going south. This is one road going east and the other road going west. They are in polar opposite directions. They are moving against one another, against the culture, against the flow of the river. And he says the first thing, that just as the other gate was wide, this gate is narrow. 
And so the other gate allowed you to bring all of your baggage. The other gate allowed you to bring all of your favorite sins. The other gate allowed you to kind of bring with you all of your toys and bring with you all of, all of the things that you really want your life to be about. And you got to bring those things with you because the gate was wide and there was plenty of room, but not this gate. This gate is narrow. How narrow? Matthew 19 uses the imagery of the eye of a needle to describe the gate. It's a gate that's way too narrow for you to bring in any other luggage. It's a gate way too narrow for you to bring in any other baggage with you. It's a a gate way too narrow to bring any of the skeletons from your closet with you. It's It's a gate way too narrow to bring with you your favorite sins. It's a gate way too narrow to bring with you your own selfish ambitions. It's a gate way too narrow to fit through there your own swollen ego and your own self righteousness. No, to come through this gate, you have to drop all of that stuff. You have to put all of those things down, understanding that Jesus has nailed them to his tree anyway, and to come and say, I don't need all of that. I just need Jesus. I just need him. He's all I want. He's all I'm after. You ever done that? You ever done that? Think back through your life and be careful here. Evaluate your life. Have you done that? Have you, has there come a point in your life in which you've put everything down to go after Christ? Has there been a point in your life in which you've said, I don't love this, I love him. The other thing he says here is that not only is this a narrow path, not, I mean, not only is this a narrow gate, but this is a hard path. This is a difficult path. Remember the other path was easy. The other path was natural. The other path was appealing. The other path was persuasive. The other path was just convenient for the way that you wanted to live your life. This path isn't any of those things. And I so appreciate Jesus' sheer honesty here. Those of you that are Christians, I want you to listen up for a second. In the modern church, what we've tried to do is we've tried to domesticate Jesus and we've tried to take him in our evangelism with some slick sales pitch to make him as palatable as possible, as easy a pill to swallow as possible, so that as many people might want to come after him as possible. That's not what Jesus does. In John chapter 6, he says, hey, come and eat my flesh and drink my blood if you'd come after me. In Luke chapter 9, he says, deny yourself and take up your cross and come after me. In our text this morning, being forthright and straight up and honest with his disciples, you know what he says? Come after me. Come with me. Come through the narrow gate. But it's hard. It's hard. It's difficult. Come with me, but it's difficult. And when we share the gospel, brothers and sisters, if we ever expect them to persevere, if we ever expect them to last in this thing, to have a faith that is substantial, we must be forthright with them about the journey. We must be forthright with them about the cost of discipleship. We must be forthright on what it means to put everything down and follow after Jesus. Why do you think we baptize so many more than we see in our chairs? Because we've reduced it to a sales pitch. And the gospel is no sales pitch. What Jesus is calling us here to is a crucified life. A cross-centered life. 
What Jesus is saying is, yeah, deny yourself and take up your cross. In other words, deny yourself and lay yourself on the cross and all of your stuff on the cross and all of your sin on the cross and all of your ambitions on the cross. Lay all of the stuff on the cross and nail it there and leave it there. And as hard as that is and as costly as that is, let me just tell you, brothers and sisters, it's going to be worth it. I want you to understand, too, that this is the only type of Christianity that there is. One of the deceptions in the American first world countries, America and the other first world countries, is that somehow there are different levels of Christianity and there are different types of Christianity. But I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, there is not an American Christianity and an African Christianity. There is not a missionary Christianity and an Aniston Army Depot Christianity. There is not a pastor Christianity and a football coach Christianity. There is not a teenage Christianity and an elderly Christianity. There is one Christianity and it beckons you to come and to lay your life on the cross and to say, I will die with Christ. You ever done that? Ever been there? Ever put to death all the things that are in you? Have you ever truly denied yourself? Deny yourself and take up your cross. Have you ever denied yourself for the faith? For Christ? But what does he say? The destination is the opposite too. The other one leads to destruction. This one leads to life. This one leads to life. Here's what I want you to hear me say. Jesus is not calling you to a hard life for the sake of living a hard life. Jesus is not calling you to a life of misery so that you might live a miserable life. No, what Jesus is calling you to is transcends all of that. What Jesus is calling you to is a life that's only hard for a little while. That's only hard in the temporary. What Jesus is saying is he's saying come and live a hard life for 80 years so that you might live a fruitful and leisurely 80 million years and 80 billion years and 80 trillion years forever with me. It's an exchange. It's an exchange. You can live a life that is easy for 80 years or you can live a life that is easy for 80 billion years. You want the easy 80 or the easy 80 billion? Brothers and sisters, I want the 80 billion. I want, I want to be with him. I want to rejoice with him. I want to rest with him. I want to celebrate with him. I want to live with him. When you see it that way, when you, when you step back from the macro perspective of eternity, what we give up, what it costs us here is just not very much. It's just not very much. This morning, what do you want? This morning, what will you choose? This morning, what are you, what, what are you coming after? See, the reason that Jesus calls us to come and be crucified with him is because once we're crucified with him, guess what can happen? Then we can be resurrected to life with him. We, can, we, we lay ourselves on his cross so that we might die, so that Christ then may resurrect us with him forever, so that our death can be ultimately defeated. So we die now that we might live forever. The next thing that he says is both glorious and devastating. He says, and a few will find it. Those who find it are few. First of all, it is glorious. 
It is joyful. Because we should understand that there should be no way. There should be no way in which men can get to heaven. There should be no way in which sinners can be reconciled with holiness. There should be no way that we should be able to come into the presence of God Almighty and not be pulverized by his glory. But he made a way. He made a way. He made a way when he came himself as the son. He came as the son to die the death that we should die so that we could live the life that only he should live. And this morning what he is asking you to is as John 10 says, enter through the gate. And who is the gate? The gate is Jesus. It is through Jesus that we get to the Father. It is through Jesus that we are reconciled to God. It is through Jesus that we are forgiven of our sins. It is through Jesus that we can rest forever. So come to the gate this morning. Enter through the gate. Come to Jesus so that you might be resurrected with him. It's glorious that that's possible. And all of us who have been adopted into Christ should rejoice in our salvation. And we should all ask the same question in unity this morning. Why me? Why me? As worthless as I am, as wicked as I am, why would he save me? But on the other hand, it is devastating. It is a devastating thing to consider that so many of the people that we love, even people that we don't know who are loved by others, will be ultimately and finally destroyed or on a path that makes sense to them, on a path that feels good to them, that will lead to their own destruction. Brothers and sisters, this morning, if you are a Christian, if they are going to go to hell, make them step over our exhausted dead bodies to get there. Break our hearts, God. Break our hearts for the many that are bound toward destruction. morning, the only thing that I know to do with you, the only thing that I know to say to you is to plead with you. I I don't know. I'm just a man, a very young man, and you're wondering why do I take these words from you, and all I can tell you is that these are not my words. These are not my words. I'm hiding behind the cross, and I'm pleading you to come and join me there. For so many of you, you are going to have to forsake your pride. Your pride has kept you in that chair for year after year after year, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and your pride is going to be one of the paths that condemns you. Brothers and sisters, friends, this morning, will you come to him? Will you come to him? Will you come to the narrow gate? Will you walk down the hard path? Will you invest your 80 into 80 billion? This morning, will you be saved? This morning, will you lay your life down, be crucified with Christ, so that you might be resurrected with him? This morning, will you come to the narrow gate? Will you enter the narrow gate? This morning, will you come? I'm praying for you. I'm pleading with you. Will you come this morning? The costs that you have to pay are just not anything. This life is going to go away. This morning, will you come to him? I don't care if you teach Sunday school. I don't care if you're a deacon. I don't care if you and I play golf together. I don't care if you and I hang out together. I, don't, I want you to come to Christ. This is your first day with us. Come to Christ. I'm unapologetic in pleading with you. Come to him. Come to him. This morning, let me pray for us.